The Godfather film has gifted us so many edible moments. From the wedding banquet in the opening scene, to the lesson on sauce given to Michael by Clemenza, to the claim of the best veal in the city at Louis' restaurant in the Bronx. But perhaps one of the most recognized moments of food on film comes in a scene between Clemenza, Rocco, and Polly. And that scene begins with Clemenza leaving his house and his wife shouting, don't forget the cannoli, and ends with Clemenza telling Rocco, after he's killed Polly, leave the gun, take the cannoli. While I could probably dedicate an entire podcast episode to all of this film fair, I'm going to discuss and focus on the latter. I'm Jenny, and today I'm talking cannoli. Now, one more interesting aside with relation to the epic mob movie. That famous line was never actually scripted. It was completely improvised by actor Richard S. Castellano, and filmmaker Francis Ford Coppola liked it so much, he kept it in the film. Good thing, otherwise I wouldn't have my intro, and Sicily's most prominent pastry might not have been immortalized in American cinema. Now, the cannolo, which is singular, or cannoli, which is plural, is arguably Italy's most famous dessert. You'd be hard-pressed to find a Sicilian cafe or pasticceria that does not prominently display the erotic pastry. Yes, you heard that right, I said erotic. And that is because the cannolo does indeed resemble a phallus. Now, according to legend, during the Arab rule of Sicily, around 1000 AD, a harem of women in the city of Caltaniceta created a fried pastry shaped like a tube. The shell was made of flour, sugar, and butter, and filled with sweetened ricotta. It is said to have been made to exalt the masculinity of their sultan. While there is no formal written record, the account does have merit based on the notion of erotic pastries that actually dates back centuries. There are several sexually shaped pastries created by the ancient Greeks and Romans for festivities honoring their gods and goddesses. These would later spread to the rest of the Mediterranean and were not at all considered taboo, but rather revered as symbols of abundance and fertility. Perhaps I'll dedicate a future episode to some of these other desserts. When the Roman conquerors, sorry, when the Norman conquerors converted to converted Sicily to Catholicism in the 11th century, many of the ancient traditions became Catholic observances for Christmas and Easter. And said desserts endured because they were preserved by the nuns occupying the convents. Now, contrary to popular beliefs, the sisters did not prepare the racy pastries because they were sexually repressed, but rather because they did not want the ancient traditions they had inherited to disappear. They were allowed to prepare these edible symbols during the period of Carnevale when the rules are allowed to be bent to access and ecstasy. This time of uninhibited self-expression became the perfect moment in which to enjoy cannoli. Okay, now this may make you cringe a little, but this was actually customary at this time of year. The tubular sweets were gifted by men to women to hint at their sexual desires. All the while singing, Ogni cannolo è scettro di ogni re, lo cannolo è la virga di Mosè. Translation, and remember, I'm just the messenger here. Every cannolo is the scepter of every king, and the cannolo is the penis of Moses. Okay, doesn't quite have the same ring in English. Um, A very strange poem, nonetheless. But anyhow, it was customary. Their phallic shape was whimsically exaggerated by making extra jumbo-sized ones called 
cannolone or cannoli giganteschi. Even today, gigantic cannoli are sold during Carnevale, paying homage to their salacious past. Variations also include a pinky-sized cannoli called cannoliki. Now, what's the saying? It's not the size, it's how you use it. <clears throat> okay, so let's move on and say that now that we've confirmed we don't have dirty minds, the cannoli are in fact sh shaped like genitalia, we'll take some time to examine some of the confection's other attributes. Let's start with the name. Canolo, which again refers to the singular, comes from canna, named after the river reeds, which were cut into sections and used as a mold to fry the shells. Of course, production has since shifted to utilizing metal tubes for shaping. A canolo consists of three distinct parts, the scorza, which is the shell or crust, the filling, and the topping. So let's examine each of these components. First, let's talk shell, which even the most experienced Sicilian cooks will tell you can be tricky. The perfect shell, once fried, must resemble a bow tie and not a perfect tube. The pastry dough is made of flour, lard, marsala, egg and sugar that is combined with cocoa powder and cinnamon or orange zest. Once formed, the dough is cut into circles that must be carefully wrapped around the tube for it to maintain its shape during frying. Now, as someone who likes to bake, I too can attest to what a challenge this can be. And I've had several of the cannoli open and come off the tube while frying if they're not properly sealed. Once cooled, they are filled and best enjoyed immediately in order to maintain that perfect contrast of creamy center and crispy outer layer. If you won't be enjoying your cannoli right away, then it's best to fill them right before consuming. And this is, in fact, what happens in most pastry shops. The shells are empty and they're filled on order. Now, speaking of filling, it's traditionally made with goat or sheep's milk ricotta and sugar. However, variations do exist using cow's milk ricotta, whipped cream, pastry cream, custard, and mascarpone. The secret to making a great cannoli filling is to allow the ricotta and sugar mixture to rest in the fridge for 24 hours, or at the very least, overnight. What this does is allow for the sugar to fully dissolve and marry with the cheese. Also, mixing should be done only by hand. Using an electric mixer will actually create a watery ricotta. And if you're trying to achieve a really smooth consistency with the filling, pass it through a sieve after it's rested. This step will remove any excess moisture and leave you with a silky center for your cannoli. Oh, and on the subject of ricotta, there is no production of the cheese from June to September, only the months from October to May, which is what, when you will find Sicilians enjoying their cannoli, making them, in reality, a seasonal dessert. It is during this time that the sheep produces the best milk, hence making the best ricotta. Finally, the canola is topped with a slice of candied orange or a cherry. Traditionalists will stop here with the filling and topping, but as I'm sure you've seen in Sicily and beyond, pastry chefs have taken creative liberties in creating multi-flavored versions. From the additions of chocolate bits or chopped pistachios to the ricotta, to flavored creams inspired by other cultures. The one thing that remains a constant is the fact that for a canolo to be successfully eaten, it must create a mess. There's really no way to eat a cannoli without making a huge mess. 
Besides tiramisu, there is likely no other Italian dessert as popular as this tubular specialty from Sicily. And once you've enjoyed this iconic treat, you can fully understand why Clemenza insisted on leaving the gun and taking the cannoli. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in for more of my